Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey, Engage 360 friends, this is Don Payne. And before we get into this week's podcast interview, which I'm excited about, I have something particular, specific I want to tell you about. We have an exciting event coming up on Wednesday, May 4, and that's going to be Denver Seminary's Day to Give. We're calling it Reaching Further Together. Now, on this day, the entire Denver Seminary community is going to join together to help us support current and future students through donations to our Student Scholarship Fund. Now, in today's interview, this week's interview, you're going to get to meet Uh, one of our scholarship recipients, and I'm really excited about his story because it's going to shine a lot of light on why our support to students through scholarships is so incredibly valuable. 100% of all donations to the Student Scholarship Fund on this day to give will, uh, will go toward students with a demonstrated financial need, whether you make a gift uh, now or on May 4th. And so I would really love to invite you to go to our website, denverseminary.edu, and make a contribution, a generous contribution toward Day to Give, because that's going to help prepare present and future leaders for the kingdom of God through what we do here at Denver Seminary. Uh, Thanks for that, and I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Hello again, friends, Denver Seminary friends. You have reached Engage 360 again here at Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne, and we are really glad to have you with us. And uh, glad this week, especially to be joined by my colleague, Joey Dodson, who teaches New Testament here. Joey, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much for having me again. Uh, Joey's always um, uh, both informative from a New Testament perspective, though he's kind of a one-trick pony. He only knows that there's one chapter in the New Testament. It's Romans 7. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know that he's read anything before or after Romans 7. Is that... More or less true, Joey? Accurate, very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad Joey's here. And uh, we've got Joey's co-host today because uh, he's got uh, some connections with our, our special guest. And uh, as we often do, we like to highlight different students at Denver Seminary who are doing something really interesting in ministry and are, uh, give us various examples of what it means to live out the redemptive power of the gospel and give you uh, Kind of case studies of what that looks like. And so we're really honored to have uh, Isaac Olivares with us today. Welcome, Isaac. Well, thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to be here today and good uh, to see you too, Dr. Dotson. And so happy to be here today. Dr. Dotson is always glad to be seen. And, he, and it's always good to <laughs> And he's easy on the eyes. So <laughs> at least that's what his wife says. We're uh, Isaac, welcome here. And we wanted to get you in front of our listeners because you've got kind of an interesting ministry that we want you to tell us about. You and your wife, Jamie, uh, began what is called Urban Outreach Denver, correct? In 2012? That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell us about that. How did that get launched and what, what is it about? I know it's about eating. I know it's yes, about food. It is. So you'll have to unpack that for us. Yeah. So it, it, let's just start there. You said food and that's just a uh, to jump in. That's why I love Jesus so much. He uh, loves food and I like to, <laughs> that's one of the ways I like to follow him. And uh, so we, in, in essence, Urban Outreach Denver um, started as a nonprofit organization and it was just a, grew out of the desire of my wife's heart um, and I, that we just wanted to find a way to connect with the marginalized here in downtown Denver. 
we wanted to just have a way, almost an excuse to hang out with them and, 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 and meet people and, and go beyond just learning their name, but learning their story. And so obviously we found that food was a great way to connect with people. Uh, so it, it just grew out of that. Um, and as conversations started happening, you know, um, they would ask if, if we had resources, uh, you know, whether it was socks, uh, which is the number one requested item among homeless around the world, uh, or hygiene items, or I mean, just whatever they might need. So we started just kind of jotting stuff down. And then we take some time and gather it and then come back. And so it really started out of that. Um, and then it evolved even further into what we call now a dinner church. So um, it's, it's just an effort to live out the gospel among what we feel is, is a marginalized group of people. And they are certainly marginalized, but even within the church that aren't being reached um, with the gospel on a consistent basis. What's, what's the church situation like? How, how do you do church with, with those folks? So that's part of where the story starts, you know, took some twists and turns for us because the whole, the whole, you know, idea was to start a church for the homeless. And it grew out of some experience that I had way back um, in uh, 2002, but it, it, it was, it was just a, just, uh, again, it was the desire to have, the mar like to give them a church of their own. I, I've been saying this for several years now that the marginalized deserve to be more than the recipients of our outreach efforts. That you know they deserve full inclusion in the life of the church. But we also can't expect them to assimilate into the way that we do church. You know, it, it, the way that we do church. Uh, speaking of you know middle class Americans or or whoever that may be. So the idea was that we would launch this church for the marginalized and that we would. Uh, you know, use food. We, we started gathering on Thursday nights after we had, I say, collected a group of friends. We had been hanging out for almost a year, just in the parks, alleys, and streets, be invited into people's homes, sometimes crack houses, and we'd just be talking to people. And then we wanted to invite them to, to a meal. And then within that context, then say, hey, we're starting a church. And that would be set up on a Sunday morning, at, you know, just having church. So Thursday night meals was our effort to start a church. Um, and then when that finally happened, you know, we had a lot of people that came on our, on the first Sunday, um, which was September of 2013. Uh, but as I, from the very first sermon that I preached, um, I looked out and there was maybe two or three people from the street that we had been ministering to during the week. So I really knew that first Sunday, it wasn't going to work. And meanwhile, Thursday nights were packed and it was loud and it was just, it was awesome. And, um, for two years, we tried to just make it work. And then finally we realized we had been having church on Thursday night. So mm -hmm. we just canceled Sunday morning and we kind of re realized, acknowledged that we were a dinner church. And then, I, then I had to go back and figure out what's a dinner church because that wasn't the plan. And, um, so that's kind of what led me to uh, the book of Luke and seeing how much Jesus enjoyed eating food with people who uh, were on the margins. <laughs> so, dinner, okay. It, dinner church. You need to rename this thing. Dinner church. I'm, well, I'm there, man. Well, what we, what we loosely call Thursday nights is community dinner. That was kind of the way we just started to advertise it, so to speak. And by advertise, I mean, I just would write down what the food was for that Thursday, hand it out with the address and the time. Um, and yeah, we call it community dinner, but yeah, I mean, dinner church, 
it's it's something that I like I said when I started trying to see you know research what this is all about what what are we doing who are we there's actually um, a, a growing number of churches that are starting to add dinner churches to kind of their menu of options for the communities that they serve so okay. it's pretty okay. cool yeah. Isaac I, I grew up Baptist so we had more potlucks than we did baptisms uh, you know yeah. <laughs> the potluck was the closest that we got to a sacrament uh, so so it makes sense to me that uh, food is involved but how did you come upon this idea that the mill needs to be central to your ministry? We just found out that um, when people were gathered around the table, that it, it just seemed to, man, open up conversations about like, we would lead from behind, I would tell our, our, our volunteers, like they would be the ones to begin to peel back layers of their story and I just realized that's happening as they're eating food. It's just putting people at ease. And again, this was all built on about a year of just working among them in the streets and in their context. So I found that food was just such a, a rich way to um, invite people into a conversation with which they almost didn't realize that they were leading the conversation. Um, so usually early on, it would start just very benign, just, hey, you know, how's, how's your day? How, how's things going? And then over a series of weeks and months, man, they're, they're just peeling back layers of their lives and they're telling you why they hate church. They're telling you why they hate God, why they believe there is no God. They might've grown up in church and, and they're just telling you all these things. And so I was shocked to find out just how honest people were. Like there was no errors. There was just no masks. I mean, the man, they were just so raw. And to me, as someone who grew up in church, that was so refreshing like I just found out that around the dinner table, it was just something where a conversation about the meal itself that night, 20 minutes later, was just deep, deep spiritual conversation. Um, and so the dinner church, it was the space that they had to actually have those conversations, as opposed to just walking in a church, sitting in a pew or a chair, and then taking in whatever was happening from the platform the conversations were happening. Like, so there was the time and the space for that to actually happen within our quote unquote church service. So that was the, the dynamic that kind of came as a surprise, but that we just ran with, because it was something that was, we were like fostering this conversation that was happening. And then I would come up and share what we call the Christ story. It's about a 10, 15 minute sermon. Um, and it was from the gospels. And I spent a ton of time in Luke, obviously, but just talking about Jesus. I mean, it's, there's something so poignant about talking about Jesus at the table of a Pharisee when everyone who's looking at you is around tables with food, you know, and, and it's, it's not, it's not, you can't hear a pin drop. You're hearing chairs move back and forth on the concrete. Maybe there's a spill. Maybe there's two homeboys, man, arguing because they had beef outside and it came in. So it's just a dynamic that like, oh my gosh, it was it was so beautiful. It was wonderfully chaotic and uh -huh. it was so refreshing to me, honestly. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Let me jump in real quick. Uh, so Don, he's a theologian. So you and I, we know Luke. Uh, and so you mentioned Luke a couple of times. Why the gospel of Luke over against John or uh, another or, New Testament writing? Or, or Romans 7. <laughs> yeah. Help this, help, this, help this theologian get on the same page with us. So uh, what do we see in uh, Luke's gospel uh, that is so good for you and your ministry? 
So the thing that I love about the book of Luke is just the explicit nature with which he goes. So um, the travel narrative, I mean, it's just, it's way longer than in Matthew or Mark. And I didn't know this then in 2013, but as I've come to learn, you know, the, the, the extended travel narrative, we just, show, it's like Jesus was eating his way to Jerusalem. And, and uh, you know, for me, the, the, I mean, Luke 14 has been like my flagship chapter for years now, and specifically verses 12 to 14, where Jesus, I mean, he just says, look, don't it, like, it's okay to throw parties. It's okay to invite your friends and family to the barbecue. And you know that at some point they're going to invite you back, but Hey, here's an idea. Why don't you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, because they can't repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So like that's just so to me, just, man, that's just such a, a, a powerhouse verse because it's just, to me, it resonated because I have felt marginalized in my life. When we moved to, ten to Tennessee, you know, growing up Hispanic, like I, I, I know what it feels like to be on, on the margins. I know what it feels like to be poor. I know what it feels like to be um, looked at differently and, and to explicitly be called racist names. I know how that feels. And so I know, I know, I don't know exactly every situation, but I know how the marginalized feel. And, and I, and my question is, how are we going to, like, they deserve to know that Jesus loves them too. Oh. They deserve to have a place in the church and, so I almost get upset about it because I, it's just like a, just, just something that just wells up in me and the book of Luke fuels that. And so, um, you know, from chapter five, uh, the feast of the house of Levi, it just like sets the, it, everything into motion uh, where it's food, it's food, it's food time and time and time again, all the way through the end of the travel narrative, chapter 19 with Zacchaeus. So marginalized doesn't mean you're always poor financially i mean zacchaeus was wealthy but he was despised and so i just find for me that helps me frame my presentation of the gospel for marginalized people wow uh, isaac put that put that against the your own personal backstory um how, how did you how did the how did the lord form this heart in you growing up you had mentioned before we started your dad was a pastor and you moved around a good bit to various states G give us a little narrative of your own journey so growing up in in taos new mexico um it's like a fish in water right i didn't realize I, I didn't really think about being hispanic i didn't think about all the issues that we're talking about hearing today with i mean i just i had a wonderful childhood surrounded by a ton of cousins you know, hey, you know, Mexican families, like we're, we, we come with the whole enchilada, man. It's big. It's, it's just a ton of cousins, a ton of family. All my closest friends were my cousins. So you can't hardly get more drastic of a change from New Mexico to Memphis, Tennessee. And that's when, quite honestly, I realized I was Hispanic because I was told in, in different ways. And it was it was tough. Now, I've, I've to this day, I know some great people that I met in Tennessee. So but. I started to just realize that like people don't always see you the same way. And I, and, and, and I saw, I began to see economic disparities and I, and I just kind of tucked those away almost. And then living in Colorado, just loving the outdoors, loving just Colorado life. And then going to school back in the Midwest in Missouri. Um, I, I just would notice the people that were eating by themselves or, 
you know, on a corner asking for me, I just would, I would see them on my way to church or wherever. And I'm, and I just would wonder, you know, like, man, they need to go to church. Not, not even thinking like there's no way they're going to assimilate into church. Cause there's so many other barriers that they had to go through before. So then after I graduated with my, so I graduated in 2002 with my bachelor's in journalism and uh, wanted to be a sports writer. Like most uh, kids, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to make a major league roster. So when I, <laughs> so when I uh, accepted that reality, I wanted to be as close to sports as I could. And I thought, what better job to have than to cover sports and yeah, have right access to all the stadiums. Heck yeah, yeah. man. So that was my thing. So my first job out of college was to write for a, I was writing for a Christian magazine. And, and um, as it happened, they sent me back to Denver to write a story on inner city um, ministry that, that was going on. And that's when I saw something that I believe God truly used to, to just change my direction. And um, I was interviewing a young man uh, named Perry and uh, it was July 19th, 2001. And I was, I was there and, and um, had spent about an hour talking to him about his life story. He'd grown up homeless uh, in the streets of Denver. Um, and he told me that he didn't, I asked him, you know, man, you've, you've survived this long. And he was 21 years old. And I said, do you rely on a faith, you know, to, to, to carry you through what, what is it? And, he, and it wasn't even so much what he said, but how he said it, that shocked me. And he said, I don't believe in God um, because I've never seen God work in my life. And he kind of told me like, look around, this is my life. He said, but I believe in, in the devil because I see demons all the time and not in my oh. dreams, not in my imagination. I see demons every night and oh. they work the corners. He told me just like the pimps, just like the prostitutes, these demons work downtown. They own it. And I was shocked again, just to see how stoic his face was, how it was normal. It was his life. So we talked about an hour and then this was down on 16th and Arapaho, downtown Denver. And then he had to, he said, I got to go. And he started walking across the street, which would have been 16th street mall. And when he got across the street, another young man approached him. They started arguing and fighting. And within a minute, I kid you not, within a minute, he was, he had gotten stabbed. He got stabbed with a pair of scissors. And, um, I ran across as several people did. And, and I, it's like yeah, straight out of a movie. I mean, I saw him, I knelt, I was kneeling right there beside him as he died. Um, and I just, I just spent an hour talking to him about God. And the last words he told me, I, he said, you know, so can I tell you more about my friend Jesus? Because I really, I really want you to just know. And I said, my friend Jesus, he said, honestly, man, no, I've, I've done too much. Like I, even if, even if he was real, he wouldn't, he wouldn't love me enough to forgive me. I've done way too much. Those were his last words to me. And it just absolutely floored. I didn't even, I got physically sick. I almost passed out. I was, I had never seen a murder. I had no, I mean, I grew up in a bubble, man. Like, even though I faced a couple of things in Tennessee, like I, I just didn't know, you know, and all I could think about was how in the world are we going to get people like Perry into church? How, how are we going to let them know that Jesus loves them? Like I was so frustrated by that. And, um, so long story short, I, I just, I mean, it's already a long story, sorry, but I just, um, within a year, my wife and I had moved to Denver and we wanted to start ministering to these kinds of people, to the marginalized. Um, and so, you know, that to me is it on top of kind of some of my life experiences, it just was a slam dunk. It was no going back from there. And it was just like, you know what, 
these people need, they need a church of their own. Like I said, they, it's, it, they deserve more as image bearers. They deserve more than just being our, you know, outreach recipients, you know, like they deserve to have inclusion in the life of a church. And that's what drives me. That's what fuels me. And, um, still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Gosh. Man, what a story. What a story. What brought you to seminary, Isaac? I would say that what brought me to Denver Seminary was an awareness that my passion wasn't enough to carry me through in ministry. I needed to be absolutely grounded. I, I just wanted to know what I didn't know and learn it. I wanted to know what I believed, why I believed it. You know, again, I graduated with a journalism degree. So, you know, and, and then, you know, as things go, I mean, I started in the summer of 2018. So it had been about 16 years, you know, of life and ministry. Um, and, uh, you know, you pay off student loans and then it's ready to roll. So that's literally that January, I paid off my undergrad loans because you can't really send the chunks of money you send to your student loans aren't that big when you're in full-time ministry, mm -hmm. uh, just starting out. So, but that January of 16, and then my wife was like, man, now you can do it. And I almost was like, what are you talking about? She's like, let's go. And I said, all right. So that summer of 2018, I started at Denver seminary and it was a no brainer for me because I've lived in this community. Um, I know the reputation Denver, Denver seminary has, and, um, I just wanted to be challenged academically I wanted to be and, and for me I felt like I was never going to be at risk of having it be all head knowledge um, ivory tower type type stuff I spent way too much time in ministry for it not to just fuel me on a spiritual even pastoral level and it certainly has you know yeah you know, Isaac, earlier you mentioned uh, Luke 14. Uh, most of our audience uh, probably loves Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son. I feel like it's probably the most preached uh, uh, passage in the New Testament. It's not Romans 7, Don. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Luke 15, what sets up that prodigal son story is uh, the religious people looking at Jesus, uh, hanging out, eating with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, West Texans from Odessa. Uh, and, and so you have this. Yeah, yeah who would have thought? <laughs> and so it really, Jesus' response, uh, the, the story of the prodigal son is his response to the religious, um, self-righteous. Have you gotten any of the Pharisees pushing back or questioning you or, um, I don't know, pitying you or anything? How, what, what's been the response to, uh, to you from uh, other religious organizations and churches and people? You know, um, and you're, it's right, right. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what it is. It's Jesus is doubling down. It's his response. Um, and for the most part, everyone has been just nothing but like, man, that's awesome. Like, that's great. Uh, the only thing I would say is that there's a bit of a misunderstanding sometimes that maybe it's not fully church. And I, to a degree, I get that. I mean, it's way different. Like it is, you know, but it has to be, it just has to be. So I understand it, but I'm trying to, I guess that's kind of my endeavor. That's my pursuit right now. So it's like, this is valid. This is a valid way of doing church because of, of the nature of what has to be done. So I would say though, that man, by and large, everyone's been super amazing. In fact, they've carried us through. We have a network of about 165 churches around the country that support us on a monthly basis. 
that allow us to do what we do. Because obviously you can't pick up tithes and offerings from people that like slept under a tarp last night. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that it's not just verbal affirmation. I mean, they're, they're supporting us and keeping us going and, um, man, we're just so grateful. Yeah. 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 Isaac, I love this statement you have on your website. It says, we want you to eat as much as you possibly can tonight. We want you to roll out of here, but no matter how much you eat tonight, you're still going to wake up hungry tomorrow morning. But the Bible says that if you receive what Jesus has to offer, you will never hunger or thirst again. How'd you, I love that statement. Uh, so our space is we're on the corner of 26th and Welton and we're in a basement space. So the whole roll your roll out roll you out of here is literally like just when I when I say that I'm up at the front and the stairs would be back to my right and I just say look eat as much as you can if we have to roll you out of here that's okay <laughs> that that's how that started and so then it kind of like people would chuckle and laugh and so like I would just say it every week because there was always new people coming and new people coming um, but it was just a way also to reinforce the whole theme of a banquet. This is, this is a banquet of food. This is, we, people tell us every week, you guys have the best food for the homeless people in the city of Denver. Like they would tell us that we, you know, we go to different places. You guys have the best food. And then they would tell us, I used to come just for the food, but now I come to hear the Christ story. Mm. And that's most significant, but we wanted to be able to tell them like, look, we have plenty of food. We're not going to parse it out for you. And uh, we don't make people sign in. We, it's just come and eat and you can eat before I'm going to preach. We're not tr trying to trap you here, nothing like that, but we've got a bounty of food. It's good food. And to me, all of that is actually like my first two points of my message, if you will, <laughs> if I was, I mean, a Christ story just has one point. I'm just getting to a point. But everything's preaching because it's reinforcing that idea of, you know, the, the, the generosity of who God is, the, 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 the quality of, of his meal. Um, so when I come up and I talk about a story from the Gospels, it just makes sense. It, it's just connecting the dots for them. And it's now please hear me. It's remarkably simple. Our space is not flashy. It's concrete walls and floors. It is it's not pretty it's aesthetically you know like speaking it it's raw but that's that's the world in which we live uh, you know down there and so we've had to say no to a lot of pretty good ideas to keep it to keep it simple because you know that you know we, we want to make sure that we keep our audience in mind we're not doing it for anyone else we're doing it to, to be there so yeah. Sometimes I say some things that stick and I didn't even intend for them to, to stick. Yeah. Now you're making me hungry. Uh, so I, I got a question just out of sheer curiosity. And then secondly, uh, going back to the Bible, uh, the, it, what are you serving? What, what is this good food? Is it enchiladas from New Mexico or ribs from Memphis? Uh, what, what's usually on the menu? Sure. So in seven years now, we've served everything from flan, I mean, an exquisite Mexican dessert. We've served, yeah, enchiladas. Uh, we've served, we've served ribs. We've served all. I mean, all. Uh, what was my favorite random one? Stuffed bell peppers. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, I, so oh, so the way that that happens is we just there was a a caterer who catered my sister's uh, wedding, 
he was our first caterer. And I asked him if he could do this for us. And I told him what the vision was. So his way of giving back to the community was that he would only charge us for the cost of the food. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, I think back then it was about $300 a week. And uh, so then I would take that information and say, okay, hey, listen, I've got another guy and he's willing to do this. And so then we've built up a little little team of caterers around the city that rotate and provide us the meals. And so we have a lady who her specialty is homemade, you know, uh, cupcakes. They're huge buttercream. And, and these are like, it's, it's, it's the little details. Like they notice when we have real butter, mm-hmm. like they notice when we have, when we add Sprite into the Kool-Aid, that's like a beautiful thing. <laughs> or in the summertime, when we do root beer floats, they, they just, it's been years since I've had a root beer float. It's just those little things that just, just piling layers. And it, to me, it's all preaching and I, I don't misunderstand. Right. I mean, it's, it's just preparing to hear the gospel. And so, I mean, fried chicken, the first time we did fried chicken, oh my gosh, it was a fire hazard. Um, it was so packed. I was a little bit afraid. It, I, I was like, this is getting out of hand. It was so much. I mean, I can't even tell you how much fried chicken we had. And then the hot sauce, I learned you have to add the hot sauce. And it's not like, we're not talking about like Cholula, which is my personal favorite. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the actual Louisiana hot sauce. All right. Yeah. So like, it's Pasco, baby. come on now you're talking, yeah, there we go. <laughs> and so like, it's, it's homemade meals. These are like catered meals that we would be happy to enjoy at a Denver seminary banquet. Like it's really good. Oh, that's great. So and, you're not having to like cook this stuff. You're well, right. I, we have we have a team of caterers now. Over the years, there have been times where my wife and I are here and, and we're just grinding and we're doing to make make sure that we get a meal served. But I mean, my meal does, my my wife does a great job. But we have a team of caterers that that does that okay. and um, and that because our building doesn't have a kitchen, it, our, our space and it's got we, we've put in a little sink now and and some things, but we don't have like a big commercial stove or anything like that in our space. So out of necessity, we just had to do it that way from day That's one. That's great. That's yeah. great. Joe, you had a biblical question. You were yeah. going to make this serious all of a sudden, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, in First Corinthians, uh, it seems like this was a practice for the church in Corinth as well, but it got messy really quickly. One of the things that Paul has to respond to um, is abuses of this. Um, some uh, becoming drunk during the agape feast, the love feast, right. uh, uh, some eating more, uh, than their share uh, to the exclusion used probably of the poor. Um, and because of this judgment comes down, if you remember, um, some of them have fallen sick and some of them have died because they haven't properly discerned the body, which is debated by, I think it's probably that they uh, were not taking care of the, the poor and the needy uh, with respect to that. So it seems like when you bring food in, it's gonna be messy, uh, not just uh, with uh, Tabasco sauce down your uh, shirt, but with relationships. So what, what abuses or messes or problems uh, hurdles have you had uh, in this ministry? There certainly have been. Um, and I think back to about three years ago, it got to a point where there were, I, t- I guess, probably 30 drug dealers out on the corner, right outside of our doors and um, traffickers. So there'd be prostitutes and there'd be, and, and my nature is I'm like, come and eat, let's go. Like, Hey, you know, like, on a Thursday, they, that wouldn't have been the first time they saw me, you know, I much prefer to be out on the streets and in an office in terms of like just 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So they would see me and they knew me and they knew what we were about. So that kept them at bay from a standpoint. But then I found out they were trying to actually exploit the homeless people that would come 
to our meals. They would try to intimidate them uh, and, and obviously like trying to sell drugs or, or whatever it might be. Um, and then some of them might trickle down and try to take three, four five plates and walk out. So one of the rules we do have, listen, you're, you, you're welcome to come and join us for, for a meal, but we don't have no to go orders is what I would say. Mm -hmm. No to go orders. And so we'd have people that would want to try to exploit that and just use that tactic of like, Hey, I'm big, I'm bad. And you're not going to stop me. So volunteers, I would tell them, don't you ever feel the need? Like, I don't want you to tackle people. Like, like that's not, you, you just let me know. Not because I'm like, you know, level three black belt ninjutsu art. No, no, not because of that. But, you know, as the spiritual uh, authority there, like that's, that's my role. So there've been plenty of times where people have been in my face and threatening to see what I'm going to do about it. And I'm like, I'm about to go down. Like, like I'm, I can't take this guy. <laughs> but the crazy thing is the first time I did that, several men that were regulars stood up and said, you're not going to do that. And it was just like this weird thing where they had taken ownership of the space of the time and they were not going to let it be exploited because it was special. It was sacred to them. So those things have certainly happened. And I tell, I tell them all the time, this is not just about food. This is not just about you trying to get as much like, that's why we tell people there's a ton of food. So no one has to feel like they have to cut in line or make sure they get their serving. We've got plenty of food. If I had to go buy 10 more pizzas and we've had to do that, I'm like, we don't have enough food. I could, I just knew it. And we're on the horn ordering 15 pizzas. And by the time we run out of that initial meal, the pizzas arrive and we want everyone to have food. Nice. But I tell them, this is all a waste of money and a waste of time. If I don't tell you about who Jesus is, it's a waste. Mm -hmm. And so we're very clear to make sure that people know, like, this is not just you know, I, I tell them we're not in the charity business. This is not charity. This is not just, oh, we want to feel good about serving the community. The needs that exist, and, I, and I'd be telling them, the needs that exist in your life, the needs that exist right outside our doors, the only one, the only one who can meet these needs is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. So, so I, I would I do my best to reinforce that every chance I get so people know this is not just some other charity. Like, there's power in the name of Jesus. And I want yeah. you to, hey, I want to introduce go, you. Go. Yeah, no. And, and, and that's where it comes from for me, you, you know? Um, and, and I, um, because you're right, Dr. Dodson, like it, it can go awry pretty quickly. And, and I just choose to say like as much, if, if, <laughs> if I just say the name of Jesus as many times as I can, and I proclaim him and I proclaim him and the Holy spirit is here, what a dynamic it is. Well, the Holy spirit, he's got our back. And it's not, it's not a naivete. It's, 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 I truly, I mean, there have been times where we've had weapons, we've had things happen and I don't seem to panic. And it's not because I'm some, it's, it, you know, it's just, I just know the Holy Spirit's in charge Yeah. and I want, and because I want to keep it that way, I keep promoting him. So the way I tell people is like this, and I, and I would illustrate this. I'd say, listen, my job is to set up a pedestal put Jesus on that pedestal and walk away. I want you to see Jesus. And, and I feel like if I just continue to do that and he continues to be glorified in our midst, then he's going to take care of us. Yeah. This is so great. Hey, Isaac, tell us real quickly, uh, just a little bit about your family. Well, my wife, Jamie and I uh, have been married 19 years. We met in Missouri 
And um, uh, we have three kids. Our oldest is Isabella. She's 14. Um, and then my son, Abraham, he's 10. So my name is Isaac Abraham. His name is uh, Abraham Isaac. So that's, you it. can't get more biblical than that, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and then our youngest is Nasea. She's seven years old. And we actually, uh, we adopted her from, from downtown here um, early on in our ministry. And that's a pretty crazy story in and of itself. So we've got our three kids and um, loving, you know, just loving life. Oh, you have man. a dog named Jacob? <laughs> you, you, you need a good well, okay. You know what? I, we have, we have a, we have a little Bernadoodle. Yeah, he's, he's uh gosh, 10 pounds. Uh, he's still a puppy, like 16 weeks old. His name is Winston. Uh, so um, Winston was the first double black diamond I skied in Taos um, when I was in junior high. So that's, that's why he's named Winston. <laughs> okay. Real quick. Cause we wind up, I got, I got two, I got two, um, offbeat questions for you first of all what's what's your favorite thing about joey dodson oh man the thing i love about dr dodson is that he is super friendly super approachable yet he'll just in the midst of a very friendly conversation throw in a challenge and you're like wait what <laughs> so like um i i took nc uh, nt 635 uh, with him last uh, last uh, semester and i just it was very challenging it was awesome and then he'd be so friendly about it. Like if it was easy, I'm like, well, yeah, it's easy for you. You read the Bible in Greek all the time. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm still trying to learn. But what I love is his, his just laid back. I, I really relate to people who are just laid back and don't put on airs. That mean, that just resonates with me, especially when they have like a lot of knowledge. I appreciate that. So that's what I, I think that's what's gravitated me to him to still talk and hang out and, and, you know, many uh professors at Denver Seminary are, are the same way very approachable I, I love that but um you know it's cool because I'm like we're about the same age Dr. Dodson and I and I just sometimes wonder I'm like if I had just started on this path earlier I could be like like him on podcasts all over the place and like papers and publish yeah, with, you know yeah, be with the cool kids right yeah yeah it's, you know it, yeah it's it's really it's really strange when when people who are that smart and that nerdy are also pretty cool well, it, yeah, we, we that like, package come right, and we can talk baseball, we can talk football, and, and well, uh, I, have, I have quite you know his, his taste in sports teams are kind of questionable, but <laughs> apart from that, well, you know, we we sorted that out one time. Uh, we were hanging out, and he told me why he likes certain teams, and so I, I came to understand that you know, I mean, I I, I can. The Yankees thing, I'm still praying up about, you know. Everybody's but. got their baggage. They haven't, they got a short <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got their baggage. Isaac Oliveras, thank you very much for spending time with us. We are so excited about what you're doing. And hey, if um, if people want to know more about your ministry or even are interested in supporting your ministry, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find out more? Sure, uh, we'd be honored. And uh, they can check us out on uh, lovedenver.org. And um, from there, you can, yeah, um, click the donate button if you would so wish. And, and um, at any rate, pray for us. Um, anytime you hear Denver or um, think about the Broncos, I tell people, pray for us as well. Uh, yeah. So lovedenver.org. Great word. Well, thanks, Isaac. And thanks, Joey. You've been a good sport. Yeah. Mall and, through uh, Romans 7. <laughs> go read Romans 7. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Friends, this is Engage 360, Denver Seminary. We're really glad to have you with us. Uh, while, I, while I've got your ear, if I still have your ear, everybody, I want to encourage you to check our seminary website because we have a number of other uh, resources there that you, you'll want to get plugged into. One is called the In Perspective 
Uh, it's a series of panel discussions on various issues. And then uh, one of our newest ministries is called the Gospel Initiative under the leadership of Dr. Mark Harden. We've had him on the podcast uh, somewhat recently. And the Gospel Initiative has a series of issues forums where they're tackling really tough stuff. So these will all be um, noted. Uh, you'll get links to them on the seminary website, which is denverseminary.edu. So check that out when you get a chance. And we would love to hear from you. We have an email address ourselves, just podcast at denverseminary.edu. If you want to give us any feedback or have any questions for us. And if you're listening on one of the popular podcast platforms, we would love it if now and then you'd uh, get on there and give us a rating or a review. That would be great stuff. Uh, anyway, until next time, uh, I'm Don Payne, and this is Engage 360, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Take care.